Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to the China Geopolitics Podcast, in a week ending with a story that is developing, if not escalating, around Taiwan in the wake of a visit by the US Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. My name's Jared Watt, I'm the Specialist Digital Editor for the South China Morning Post, and by now you'll have seen the numerous video montages helpfully supplied by China's state media of tanks, jet fighters, grim-faced soldiers and naval vessels, all in action for what Beijing describes as a three-day military exercise that looks very much like the encirclement of Taiwan and a blockade of its ports and airspace. But what of the ongoing political and diplomatic effect in Washington, in Beijing and of the Asian nations already concerned about China's militarization of the South China Sea, with special mention to Japan, which is considering how to react now these so-called exercises have resulted in five missiles fired by the PLA landing in Japan's exclusive economic zone, close to an island in Japan's southern island chain. Some commentators are labelling this the fourth Taiwan crisis, but on this podcast we are a bit more circumspect. You'll hear analysis from our North American Bureau Chief, Rob Delaney, from our Beijing politics and diplomacy expert, Xi Jiangtao, and from our senior Asia correspondent, Maria Xiao, about what has happened since Nancy Pelosi touched down in Taipei and what has happened since she left. But first, let me take you back to Tuesday night this week and run through some of the other things that happened as Nancy Pelosi's jet approached Taipei. A massive cyber attack was launched upon Taiwan's government websites. Screens in 7-Eleven stores and electronic billboards across Taipei were hacked and displayed a message saying, Warmonger Pelosi, get out of Taiwan. China banned the import of more than 100 food products from Taiwan. And curiously, a song from a Beijing-born Hong Kong canto-pop star was banned from all mainland Chinese music streaming platforms. Chorus has two lines in Mandarin and the rest in Cantonese. It says, Will you come tonight? Is your love still here? What future is there if I lose you? Who is willing to just give up and leave? It was being played by a lot of people in Taiwan and many other locations as speculation mounted about whether Nancy Pelosi really was on her way to Taiwan. And that was all before China announced military exercises by the People's Liberation Army in six locations in the ocean around Taiwan. Now, keep in mind, there are one or two references in this podcast that have been overtaken by events in the last 18 hours. So please head to scmp.com for our rolling coverage and in-depth analysis of this developing story, or indeed download the SEMP app and get the alerts on stories as they publish to our website. Let's get amongst it. Rob Delaney, we could fuel a furnace with the number of hot takes on Twitter and newspaper opinion pieces about the impact of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taipei. But can I begin with one comment 
made by Speaker Pelosi. She was addressing dignitaries, including Tsai Ing-wen in Taipei, and said... They made a big fuss because I'm Speaker, I guess. I don't know if that was a reason or an excuse, because they didn't say anything when the men came. They didn't say anything when the men came. Does she have a point about the number of male American politicians who's visited Taipei previously? She does. And because as soon as I heard that remark, I, I, I'm reviewing in my head all of the various uh, former government officials and, and sitting lawmakers. And I, I couldn't conjure up any, uh, any that I could remember that were, that were women. So yeah, so there you have uh, Nancy Pelosi kind of killing two birds with one stone as, as in like two issues that she's very vocal about, China, Taiwan, and then of course, women's rights. Rob Delaney, has there been any reaction from U.S. President Joe Biden on this visit by Nancy Pelosi? No reaction from Biden himself, uh, although to, to, to be clear, I, we, we haven't been watching every step he's made today. But in the White House press briefing, though, of course, the question came up. The talking points and the responses and the defenses that we've heard for the past, well, two weeks, ever since the first report started uh, circulating that she was going there. Um, th- they were all the same. It was just, we don't understand why uh, China's become so defensive uh, about this. This is this is standard procedure. We've had a house speaker in Taiwan before. So we've heard it all before and it's this, and, and it's exactly what we got from the press briefing today. But interestingly, I see overnight our colleague Finbar Birmingham has filed a story about a, dare I say, quite spicy response from the G7. How important is this, Rob? It's very interesting. Uh, the G7, I don't think anyone was expecting the G7 to come out with a statement uh, on this so quickly. And uh, I, one of the interesting things about this is that that statement happened to come out while the uh, US-China Economic and Security Review Commission was holding one of their hearings um, in, uh, in on Capitol Hill. Of course, it, the, the, the commission is called the USCC. It's an advisory body to the US government about all things China. And so the question came up in the middle of it. It was, you know, made this the, the hearing had already been running for for a couple of hours, maybe two or three hours. And then the, the, the statement came out and then within, I don't know, maybe a half an hour, it, it came out of the one of the, even though it wasn't really on the agenda. And, and one of the expert witnesses was Bonnie Glazer from the German Marshall Fund, who's very notable and, and very respected when it comes to all things China. The, the commissioners asked her about it and she said she thought it was very interesting because she called it a first. She said it was the first time that she had seen the uh, the G7 collectively make a very pointed remark specifically at China about a particular action that they had taken, and so they were very um, they were very pointed about how they they disagreed with the way that China has reacted in terms of the live fire and specifically the live fire military drills that will be underway very shortly. Well, you mentioned that these live fire drills, the PLA has announced an unprecedented six areas around Taiwan where they'll be practicing their artillery and missile firing skills. This looks a lot like a blockade, Rob. Has there been any reaction or commentary in the US invoking American history with blockades, be it Cuba 1962 or Berlin 1948? You know, honestly, it hasn't come up. I, I the, the the Pentagon has been very quiet about this. 
the the sense really is that they are watching and waiting to see what happens, perhaps watching and waiting uh, somewhat nervously, uh, going back to Bonnie Glazer and some other analysts pointing out that these zones that they've demarcated for these exercises are quite large. They're large enough so that we may see cruise missiles being tested uh, as, as well as ballistic missiles. Uh, so I think there's a lot of concern about what these uh, what these military uh, exercises will look like. These live fire exercises for the next few days are one thing, but Nancy Pelosi's visit itself, how is this being framed by the US media? Is it the rebel politician making a visit to the rebel island province or is it Pelosi runs US foreign policy off the road in pursuit of career ambition. How is this being painted? It's been, it's really scrambled things up politically in the US because I I don't think that uh, anyone expected that uh, she, well, I th- I think people expected that she was going to show up, but uh, the, the events in Taiwan were very public. Uh, she was very direct about democracy and, and support for Taiwan. And it forced a lot of Republicans to praise her, uh, which is interesting because she is not well liked at all in the Republican Party, even among moderates. But you had, for example, a, a letter from more than half of the, uh, the Republicans in the Senate uh, that put out a joint letter praising her her actions. Now that doesn't carry through to the entire party. Uh, for example, there were a couple of others uh, Republicans who were not on uh, praising Nancy Pelosi, saying like, for example, that uh, the that she, well she should have gone with uh, with the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Uh, that would have been sent a real message. And and I think. One thing that is very significant, and I think for con- very concerning, I would imagine that the, the Pentagon is now getting very concerned about this. It sort of set up a situation where I think a, a trip to Taiwan is is now going to be uh, a, a sort of a, a test of, of lawmakers' metal. Kevin McCarthy, for example, has has stated that he intends to go to Taiwan if the uh, if Republicans take over the House in the upcoming midterm elections. So then, you know, we so we can we don't even know how these 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 military drills are going to play out. But I guess we can expect that we, we may see a repeat of this later this year. And who knows how many times this is going to happen. Perhaps it's going to become a requirement for lawmakers uh, to sort of show their uh, their 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 foreign policy chops. Anyone who wants to show their foreign policy chops to make a trip to Taiwan. How's that going to play out? I mean, are we going to be going through this every every month? Who knows? That's a fascinating concept that there will be some sort of political pilgrimage required of uh, politicians to state their their credentials, I guess. But this trip was painted by some as Nancy Pelosi's last chance before losing her position as Speaker of the House. But as Owen Churchill alerted us last week on this podcast – both the Congress and House of Representatives are now in August recess. They've all left. Has Nancy Pelosi just made a huge political gesture to dominate the US-China narrative for the domestic audience? Has this been some sort of great play to dominate the narrative as we go into this August recess? Well, I, you know, it, it's hard to speak to her intentions. I, I think if, if that was uh, her intention, she's... She's just going to do it and 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 make that statement and and I think she has. 
whether or not this was, was it more about changing the narrative about Democrats and their, uh, and, and, and their, their medal when it comes to foreign policy issues? Or was it more just the fact that she, as, as a lot of analysts are saying, she wanted to bookend her career because at the, at the very beginning, um, uh, shortly after uh, Tiananmen Square in 1989, she showed up uh, as, a, as a junior lawmaker. And here she is uh, at towards, at the, really at the end of her career uh, with this very high profile visit. And, and as I was saying earlier, uh, whether or not it was, an, it was her intention, she really has uh, changed the narrative, I think, for uh, not only for Democrat, the Democratic Party, but also for, for Congress. And has this wedged Joe Biden and his China policy now? Has it tainted any room that Biden had for lowering tariffs on Chinese goods? Well, tariffs apparently did not really even come up in their last uh, phone call. So you know, in, in the White House briefing today, uh, obviously, the, the White House press secretary was pushed on this over and over again uh, about what uh, about how this is going to affect the relationship. And uh, what what they come back and, and say is that there was uh, Biden did a lot of work to to his he, he, one of his goals was to try and keep the lines of communication open to China. And I don't think it would be wrong to assume that when Biden was preparing for his call with with Xi Jinping, he knew that it was very uh, it was a strong likelihood that Pelosi was going to do this. So uh, I, whether or not he's successful in this endeavor, it's, it remains to be seen. But I imagine that part of his strategy for his call was to do whatever he could to, to wedge the lines of communications open enough to withstand what we've just seen for the past couple of days. Will that have worked? We don't know. You spoke about Nancy Pelosi bookending a career, and she did have some meetings with, you know, democracy activists with the Causeway Bay bookseller, the bookseller from Hong Kong who fled to Taiwan. But she also spoke business. She also met with Mark Liu, the CEO of TSMC, Taiwan's and the world's number one manufacturer of the world's smallest and fastest semiconductors. Do we know anything about the agenda there or what was said? Uh, we don't have any specifics on that, uh, but it's not surprising that that would have been on the itinerary because, as we've seen, uh, semiconductors and uh, the the concern over how the semiconductor supply chain might be affected by any aggression across the Taiwan Strait is high on the minds of all policymakers right now and all lawmakers, and it's the reason that the chips. Act uh, in past both uh, chambers of Congress quite easily. Uh, it just demonstrates how uh, concerned both parties are about the possibility of a conflict in the in the Strait affecting uh, these uh, the, the supply of these chips. And of course, as we know, TSMC is has a fab plant, uh, semiconductor production plant underway. It's under construction just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And I think whether you're talking about the Biden administration or whether you're talking about lawmakers like Pelosi, Democrats or Republicans, would really like to see TSMC uh, do, uh, they've got one fab plan underway there. They want to see more. They want TSMC as planted in the U.S. as possible. Rob, at the beginning of his administration, Joe Biden 
said he was all about building alliances uh, that had been either cancelled or insulted by Donald Trump previously. This looks like a moment for Joe Biden to ring up his colleagues in Japan, South Korea, Australia even, and get comment on this. What do you think happens next now that Nancy Pelosi has flown without incident out of Taiwanese airspace to continue her East Asian, Southeast Asian tour? Yeah, well, she'll be in Japan soon. And Japan, of course, uh, is, is a member of the G7, which already made their position on this very clear. You know, I think we can expect that to have set the direction for a lot of U.S. allies. And so I think we're going to hear more from the G7 about this. Uh, I think we will probably hear more uh, from the Quad, uh, of course, w- which which Japan is a part of. So I, I would keep an eye out for uh, for more about Pelosi's trip. And I'm really curious to see what happens as the USS Ronald Reagan carrier strike group sails further into the South China Sea. We can only hope cool heads prevail. Things seem an awful crowded around Taiwan right now. Rob Delaney, we will... Stay tuned on SEMP.com for more of your analysis and the North American Bureau reporting on things as they develop over the next few days of these live fire exercises. Rob Delaney, thank you very much. Thanks, Jared. As critical news stories emerging from China continue to shape lives and business around the world, the weekly SCMP Global Impact Newsletter brings you expert analyses and insights on the economics of COVID-19, society, technology, and the environment. Sign up to receive your weekly email at scmp.com newsletters. Zheng Zhao, welcome back to the podcast. Last week, you quoted Gal Luft from the Institute of Global Analysis, who told you perhaps another option for China that did not involve invasion or military attack was a blockade of Taiwan's ports. Now, that looks very much like what we're seeing today in the oceans around Taiwan. Now, compared to what happened in 1995, what's your analysis of what's now being described as war games by the PLA around Taiwan? Yes, unfortunately, he may be right. It is unprecedented because China may be, for the first time, attempt a blockade of Taiwan. Uh, right after Pelosi's departure yesterday afternoon, China's live fire drills are starting today in six locations surrounding Taiwan, some within Taiwan's 12 nautical mile sea and air territory, which according to Taiwan's defense ministry, amount to a sea and air blockade of Taiwan. Compared to 1995 and 1996, during the third Taiwan Strait crisis, when Beijing protested against then-Taiwanese President Li Denghui's private trip to the U.S. and the island's first direct presidential election. Maps of uh, the military exercises uh, produced by China this time show the drills will go far beyond the missile firings nearly 30 years ago. Taiwan said that live fire drills violate United Nations rules, uh, invade Taiwan's territory space, and a direct challenge to the free air and sea navigation. Airlines actually operating in Asia were warned to avoid flying close to Taiwan during the drills. Ships have been told to stay away from the danger zone. Even more worryingly, some experts have warned that uh, Beijing may want to do this kind of missile firing exercises, which amount to a de facto blockade on a more regular basis in a show of military muscles to deter the so-called pro-independence forces in Taiwan. Both China and the US 
have indeed changed a lot since 1996, especially in terms of their balance of power. In 1996, the Bill Clinton administration dispatched two aircraft carriers close to the Straits to end the crisis. It will be a lot harder for the US to do so this time, according to military analysts, considering China's military buildup, especially its missile capability and the number of warships that some say may have surpassed the US Navy. And in 1995, there was no suggestion that Japan's self-defense forces might get involved. Here we are some considerable time later in 2022. And I noticed from the maps that I've been going around, it looks like that the PLA Navy is somewhat in Japan's economic zone. In fact, very near some of those southern islands from that island chain leading to Okinawa. Has there been any response from Japan that we know of? or? Uh, actually, uh, Japan, a key U.S. ally in the region, have expressed strong concerns on Wednesday about China's uh, military activities. And also South Korea, another U.S. ally, has called for dialogue to maintain regional peace and stability. Both countries are the final acts of uh, Pelosi's Asia tour. Actually, that's why some experts have uh, cautioned that uh, Beijing should be careful with its uh, reaction or overreaction some may say. Prolonged, disproportionate military response would risk alarming China's Asian neighbors and pushing them further away. One of the experts, uh, Li Mingjiang, a Singapore-based Chinese expert, has cautioned that China may need to tread carefully when escalating its military response to Pelosi's visit, because he said Beijing's military measures may force Washington to strengthen its backing for Taiwan and step up security alignment with Japan and other countries to cope with China's perceived threats to regional stability. That, of course, is a situation that will develop over the next day or two, Zheng Tao. But let me take you back 48 hours. We, of course, tracked the increasing intensity of rhetoric from within Beijing in the days leading up to Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taipei. But I was struck by this comment from China's foreign ministry spokesman, Wang Wenbin. If Speaker of the House of Representatives Pelosi visits Taiwan, the Chinese side will definitely take resolute and strong countermeasures in response and defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. As to what measures, if she dares to go, then let us wait and see. Nancy Pelosi flew in and flew out. Is there a sense that she did exactly what she planned and Beijing had no impact on her decision? It seems Nancy Pelosi has defied both Joe Biden and Xi Jinping in making this visit. What's your analysis of this? Yes, you're right, Jared. It's reported that the Biden administration and the Pentagon had some serious reservations about the timing of Pelosi's visit and tried to talk her out of going to Taiwan when the U.S.-China ties are so fraught. Some even say it's the worst timing for such a visit. But I have to ask, when is a good timing for a Taiwan visit by U.S. officials? Or is there a good timing at all, considering Beijing's sensitivity towards any official exchanges and its military deterrence strategy? That being said, however, Beijing is clearly aware of the Biden administration's misgivings about Pelosi's visit. And that's probably why Beijing was very careful in picking whom to target when rolling out punitive measures. Apart from the military exercises, 
Beijing has also announced symbolic economic sanctions against Taiwan, suspending imports of natural sands and several fruits and seafood. It has largely avoided so far to hurt the U.S.-China ties, apart from the late-night summoning of U.S. Ambassador to China Nicholas Burns and harsh verbal condemnations, including some from Foreign Minister Wang Yi, who said on Wednesday morning that Pelosi's visit seriously breached the One China principle, maliciously violated China's sovereignty, and proved again the U.S. was the biggest destroyer of peace and regional stability in the Taiwan Strait. On the other hand, Pelosi's long-planned visit, which lasted some 20 hours, did not appear to be affected by Beijing's protests. She had a packed schedule in Taiwan, meeting Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen, Vice President, and other senior officials in a move clearly aimed at Beijing, including a former student leader from the 1989 Tiananmen protests, a Hong Kong bookseller who fled to Taiwan after allegedly being kidnapped by mainland agents, and a Taiwanese activist who was recently released from mainland prison. Pelosi also compared Taiwan and Beijing at a joint presser with Tsai, with Tsai Ing-wen, praising Taiwan as a vibrant democracy that, I quote, offers a strong contrast to what's happening in mainland China. No more evidence needed than what happened in Hong Kong under one country, two systems. It didn't happen. But many China watchers believe the real impact of Pelosi's visit actually depends on how China responds next and how both sides proceed from here. One of the fallouts from Pelosi's visit is that uh, the visit has raised Taiwan's international profile and will attract more foreign government officials to Taiwan, defying Beijing's objections. How should Beijing respond? I understand people in Taiwan and elsewhere have long questioned why such muscle-flexing military response is necessary in response to the alleged provocative diplomatic maneuvering, such as visits to Taiwan by some Western politicians. Indeed, they have a point there. Even Chinese analysts are calling for restraints and proportional response in the past few days. According to Zhu Feng, an international affairs analyst uh, at Nanjing University, such visits would not change the status quo of the Taiwan question, and Beijing should not overreact to those uh, exchanges. Rather, it needs a rethink on how to maintain peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, and more importantly, how to resume talks with Taiwan and the Taiwanese people to win the hearts and minds of the people there if it is serious about a peaceful reunification. In other words, military deterrence may be working, but it's not a long-term strategy if Beijing wants a reunification with Taiwan by peaceful means. That's really interesting you speak about this communication issue, Jiang Tao. And last week, you spoke about you know the rise or the increasing passion of China's nationalists, especially those on China's social media, on Twitter even. We watched via Weibo and Twitter as those voices got louder in the last couple of days, even demanding the PLA shoot down Nancy Pelosi's aircraft. Does this pose a propaganda problem now? There was so much posturing in the lead-up but nothing actually happened. Is there a a problem now for Beijing to try and tamp down that nationalistic fervor that was all about focusing on Nancy Pelosi? Well, now she's gone. What do they do now with that that anger? It's a great question. Uh, I think for Beijing, it's to some extent, it's a useful distraction 
But given the rising nationalism, Beijing's reaction or overreaction by some standard may backfire. Because uh, according to some experts, one of the lessons Beijing should learn from the Pelosi visit is that uh, it may have miscalculated and overestimated its ability to deter Pelosi's trip by talking tough. Actually, this sort of tough rhetoric has fueled nationalist sentiment that is very hard and delicate for Beijing to control. Such sentiment, uh, they warn, may also make it harder for Beijing to pursue reunification through non-military means. In other words, it actually narrowed the room for peaceful reunification and increased the chances or increased the possibility for Beijing to use force instead. And actually, such a scenario of military takeover is one of the biggest fears among China's Asian neighbors. Nobody in Asia wants to see a non-peaceful solution to the Taiwan question or see uh, ratchet up tensions over the Taiwan Straits uh, at a time of uh, a war going on in Ukraine. Well, indeed, all of the neighbors uh, in that area will be looking on with great interest. Now, as I mentioned with Rob Delaney in the interview I did this morning, we could we could fuel a small furnace with the number of hot takes and uh, opinion pieces currently going out uh, via Twitter and media organisations. There's been much commentary about whether this situation around Nancy Pelosi's visit was a win or a loss for either Xi Jinping or Joe Biden. But Jiang Tao, I was very interested in one comment that stated, this is the final test for Xi to show China he is a leader worthy of this historic third term he will ask for in October. Is that an accurate assessment, you think, that this is Xi Jinping's moment to use or to put his leadership on display through this moment, through this what could be the fourth Taiwan Strait crisis, to quell any doubts to his claim to a third term? And are there any risks for him to do this? Actually, the leadership reshuffle is a bit sensitive for many mainland experts who decline to talk on this topic. But make no mistake, it is the most important topic in China right now and among China watchers around the world. Few people believe uh, Xi Jinping's plan to stay on for another five-year term is under any threat. And he is expected to emerge as China's most powerful leader after Mao Zedong, after the 20th Party Congress. That's why many experts uh, are saying that as long as there's no war between China and the US, Xi Jinping should have no reason to worry too much about Pelosi's visit. Actually, most China experts uh, agree there won't be a fourth Taiwan Strait crisis. But then, as we discussed just now, it depends largely on how China will respond next. Zhang Tao, I've listened back to our interview just last week uh, about the analysis of the Thucydides trap, the US and China. And one of the points you made, and you make it in depth in your analysis piece that's on scmp.com, is about the crucial need for communication between the US and China. And I get you to expand on that because it's all very nice for Xi Jinping and Joe Biden to do a Zoom call every six to eight months. But you identified a real gap in what's called back-channel diplomacy and communications at the military levels between the PLA and the US Armed Forces. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, it's a good question. That's exactly what I'm thinking now. 
the Thucydides trap we talked last week. What we're seeing is another classical example of how such a trap becomes reality. Pelosi's visit and the responses from all sides uh, give us another example of how such a trap becomes a reality when both sides um, are reluctant to communicate directly. I think that's one of the lessons many experts um, they are talking now. Back-channel communication, the so-called track two diplomacy, have always played a vital role in the U.S.-China ties, especially during challenging and difficult times. But now, with official exchanges reduced to bare minimum, unofficial exchanges have also been serious, seriously affected by the soured mood, the COVID-related travel restrictions, and arguably more important, Beijing's tightened grip on academic exchanges and discussions of politically sensitive topics. But there is a silver lining, actually, according to some experts. Pelosi visit actually may put a flaw under the bilateral ties, because both sides understand the danger of the free-falling bilateral relations. Beijing and Washington may want to do something, take some steps to arrest its precipitous decline. The world, as we know of today, is probably falling apart, but you can't possibly put the blame on Pelosi's visit to the very isolated Taiwan. Yes, indeed, Jing Tao. And you know, speaking of someone who was born sometime in the 1970s, I think I've seen the world advertised to end at least three or four times now. So in, indeed, uh, the world may be falling apart, but it's not going to be about Nancy Pelosi flying to Taiwan. Before you go, I ask you one question. It's a, a scoop video interview that's on SEMP.com, and that is an interview with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. In that interview, he's made a direct plea to China's President Xi Jinping for him to intervene or at least speak to Vladimir Putin over Russia's invasion and ongoing war upon the Ukrainian people. Do you think that will get public acknowledgement in mainland China in media? How might this play out? And does this visit to Taiwan affect the potential for Xi Jinping to speak to Vladimir Putin about the invasion of Ukraine? I think it's a great story, but I don't think China's stance will change on Ukraine because China has no interest in standing up to Russia and Ukraine or help the West and the international community to, to persuade Putin to give up his war plan. And one possible consequence of Pelosi's visit is that it may make bilateral US-China cooperation even more unlikely, including those on Ukraine. While the visit may not have lasting ramifications, it will greatly reduce mutual trust and the room for any possible cooperation between China and the US that matters to the wider world, such as on the Ukraine crisis, according to Zhu Feng from Nanjing University. Actually, the Chinese government and many Chinese analysts, they blame Pelosi for trying to secure her legacy as a longtime China critic and democracy fighter, while ignoring misgivings by the Biden administration and objections from Beijing. Some even say Pelosi is trying to turn Taiwan into a second Ukraine. Well, we can only hope that communications increase between US and China and misunderstandings are avoided. And indeed, any kind of similarity between what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening in Taiwan is avoided. Xi Jinping, we always love hearing what you have to say and we'll look forward more to your analysis and, of course, the reporting of all of the China Desk at scmp.com. Thank you very much for your time. I know you're very busy today. 
Thank you, Jared. Let's wait and see. Maria Siao is our senior Asia correspondent for the South China Morning Post. And as you might imagine, with Taiwan essentially encircled by China's Navy and Air Force, she's been very busy finding out what the neighbours in the region are thinking. Maria, great to talk to you again. Can you give us a sense of the reaction in the region today to this military escalation, these war games or live fire exercises that have started now that Nancy Pelosi has flown out from Taipei? Well, we have seen that just minutes after Pelosi touched down in Taipei, China announced um, military exercises, and they have called these exercises a series of targeted military actions. Hmm, does that sound familiar? And that is, of course, um, a major concern for Japan, who sees it as a clear warning, um, because some of its far-flung southwestern islands are sandwiched between those um, planned exercises zones. Um, and indeed, um, some of the islands, including the Sakishima Islands, um, including Yonaguni, Ishigaki, and Miyako, could be affected by the PLA operations. Um, and that is according to Japanese observers. Um, they say that the Yonaguni Island, which is located in Okinawa Prefecture, is located just about 110 kilometers from Taiwan. And that, of course, um, is a major issue for concern. And um, Miyako Island, as some of you know, is also home to the self-defense um, force bases. And what we've been hearing is that China has repeatedly sent warships and warplanes into that area in recent years. Um, but the drills um, that have been announced this week um, include a far larger area than those um, earlier exercises and include um, large areas to the northeast and the east of Taiwan. Um, so Japanese officials have long argued that a Chinese attack on Taiwan, which is um, a key semiconductor maker that sits on crucial shipping lanes, uh, would be an emergency and even would be a crisis for Japan. And as you point out there, Maria, it's not just the proximity of Chinese warships letting off rockets, missiles, hypersonic missiles, we're told. It's the shipping lanes. So has there been any official response from the Japanese government, or is it still a very much wait and see approach? I haven't heard any um, as we are talking right now, but I'm sure the situation is being watched with intense anxieties and worries by the Japanese government, um, because um, as we know, the area is also home to the Japanese-controlled Senkaku Islands, which are also claimed by China, uh, where they are known as the Diaoyu Islands. And of course, in recent years, China um, has boosted its military presence there, and there are worries on the part of Japan that the Chinese military could attempt um, to seize the Senkakus as part of an invasion of Taiwan. But of course, um, this is really speculative it's, you know, right now at this stage. Well, let's get back to Nancy Pelosi. As I speak to you, she's in South Korea today. But South Korea's new president, Yoon Suk-yeol, is off on holidays. She's meeting the Speaker of the South Korean National Assembly. But for South Korea, the situation is a bit more complicated. They have a huge economic relationship with China. They've also got a angry dictator to the north with nuclear weapons. He's been firing off a bunch of missiles this year. How is this situation complicating South Korea's diplomatic efforts? Yes. Uh, first of all, you're right that uh, South Korean President Yoon suk yeol he has other plans, mean, namely a vacation or a summer holiday. So he doesn't want to disrupt the holiday um, to meet Pelosi, but the two is expected to speak on the phone later on Thursday. Uh, and, uh, and of course, Pelosi will also meet like top South Korean political leaders. She's already met South Korean national 
Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo and other senior members of parliament for talks on regional security, economic cooperation and climate issues. Um, and yes, of course, on the delicate issue of North Korea, um, South Korea is playing a very delicate balance here because on the one hand, as you rightly pointed out, it has a very strong economic relationship with China. It does not want to jeopardize that. But on the other hand, um, it is also exceedingly concerned about the missiles and um, the sense of belligerence that is coming out from North Korea. So um, I think there is the anxiety that um, in recent months, in particular, where South Korea has become closer to the United States, um, there is concern within the South Korean establishment that this might affect the cooperation from Beijing in helping to resolve the North Korean issue. So it's like a calculated risk that the South Koreans really have to consider. They have to take that into consideration. So I think this is um, part of the calculation and a very delicate balancing act on the part of Seoul. Of course, Maria, you're a senior Asia correspondent. That's East Asia. Let's talk Southeast Asia. There are other nations with complicated relationships with China economically and with maritime border disputes. I'm talking about Vietnam and the Philippines. Have you heard anything from your sources in Vietnam and the Philippines in reaction to what is happening right now around Taiwan? Uh, yes, certainly, because um, what I'm hearing from them is a lot of anxiety and concern about what just happened this week. Um, because as we know, both the Philippines and the Vietnam have territorial disputes with China. Um, and at least two of them have told me that they are concerned that Chinese military action uh, might be extended to include the South China Sea, and this might reduce the region's security and stability. There are also concerns that this buildup of military in the Taiwan Straits will eventually include the South China Sea, and then that might increase the volatility in this area. And the Vietnamese analyst I spoke to said this escalation of tensions between China and Taiwan might even force Southeast Asian countries to side with China, given Beijing's um, economic uh, leverage in the region. You know, if we turn to the Philippines, um, what I've been hearing is that some of them tell me that both the Taiwan and South China Sea issues are related to China's sovereignty as well as U.S. involvement. Um, so they're telling me that it is very likely and they are very worried that Chinese President Xi Jinping will also take similar action in the South China Sea, which is, of course, uh, cause for concern in the region. And one analyst even expressed uh, worries that the Philippines uh, might be also be put into, into a situation because um, the country has thousands of nationals working in Taiwan. So they are concerned that if the military showdown becomes um, dangerous or becomes, you know, escalatory, um, contingency plans might need to be drawn up, um, especially if the situation demands immediate evacuation of the nationals. But, you know, let's hope it doesn't come to that. But that was... Um, a very real concern that he has expressed to me. Well, that's a really interesting point, Maria, that not many of the commentators flooding onto Twitter at the moment ha have pointed out, and that is not only the deep economic relationship, but in the case of the Philippines, so many Filipino people based and working in Taiwan, just making the situation just that bit more complicated. Now, can I just talk about just the overview of of coverage you've seen in Southeast and, and Eastern Asia. In China and the US, their social media, their commentators, there's been considerable targeting of Nancy Pelosi herself as being to blame for this military and economic retaliation from Beijing upon Taiwan. Is that what you're picking up from, from your sources in the region? 
Well, yes, that certainly seems to be the case because right now there is a great deal of blame in Asia on Pelosi for undertaking this trip, which many said is totally unnecessary uh, because it's led to a lot of um, worries and concerns by many in the region. Uh, they feel that this visit is likely to escalate tensions in as well as engulf um, the broader region. Uh, they also fear that the visit would heighten this um, intensifying rivalry between the US and China. And one of them told me that the region currently has enough problems of its own. You know, it has to do with COVID-19 pandemic. It has to do with economic recovery efforts. It has to do with food security, higher fuel prices and inflation. And the last thing it wants to see is this um, dangerous hotspot situation of Taiwan turning from, um, you know, a safe spot in, in the past to, to a source for concern. So they said that it would have been best if the trip had not taken place. And in the words of one analyst, um, the Taiwan visit was unnecessary and it was distracting. So um, there's also broad concerns that, you know, that this visit and this growing US-China rivalry will also lead to a division within um, ASEAN, which of course, it's the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. They are worried that um, China will be forcing ASEAN countries to pick sides. They're also anxious that China's more assertive uh, military action in the Taiwan Straits uh, will lead China to become more assertive elsewhere. So basically, um, you know, to sum it up, you know, as one of the analysts mentioned, Pelosi's visit was ill-advised. It was an offensive move and it was totally unhelpful for the region, which has to rely on China um, economically. Maria, you mentioned the ASEAN grouping of nations. Their foreign ministers, of course, are gathered right now in Cambodia in a conference. I can only imagine what topic for discussion after dinner or at drinks tonight is going on. You'll obviously be covering that and we'll be seeing your coverage of that conference and reaction to this ongoing situation in Taiwan, around Taiwan. Maria Siao, we'll look for you on SCP.com. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. It's always been a pleasure talking to you. That's all in this episode. In the time you've been listening, there's no doubt been more developments, and I urge you once again to visit scmp.com for the latest news and updates. Don't forget you can follow our coverage on Twitter at News. We'll be waiting and watching what happens at the end of these three days of military exercises around Taiwan, as well as watching for the ongoing ramifications of this at the political and diplomatic level. Next week, I'll be hard at work on an Inside China podcast looking at the battle between the US and China to develop semiconductors that are as small and fast as those made in Taiwan. But for now, I'll leave you with a Taiwanese musician known as Nini Music, playing a traditional Chinese instrument known as the Tang Pipa, with a song based on an anti-war poem from Alfred Lord Tennyson. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.